0: Open up your book, uh, to your Bible, and if you need a Bible, uh, Doug will pass it around, raise your hand, and he will get a Bible to you. But open up your Bibles to the 19th chapter of Matthew. As I said earlier, we're on a journey together, and uh, prayerfully, uh, this journey um, will not end at the cross, we'll walk through it for each of our hearts in the resurrection, so, as you're turning uh, to these pages, um, you know what our problem with our culture is, is the fact that it does a great job of marketing. And it sometimes steals biblical truths in its marketing. It then holds them captive in our imagination so that when a phrase is said, our minds immediately go to that well-marketed side. And so as I say the title of today's message, Let It Go... Uh, there might be some of you who have children, grandchildren that might go to a certain place. Uh, I don't want you to go there because uh, this, is, um, this is a time in which the Word of God uh, is calling us to let it go and I, we need to hear it because we as uh, Christian Americans uh, have, um, I think, have a problem with letting go letting go of the materialism, letting go of the things that are around us, letting go of the false reality of the physical world that so says, I've got your security. If you trust in me, I've got you. And so the problem is, is that is really the, is, is really, uh, the, uh, the problem with looking to God Uh, for the fulfillment of your physical and felt needs and to get out of a jam. Uh, Looking to God to add to your life some kind of psychological or uh, some kind of, I, I I need to get out of a problem and so I'm coming to you. And so MacArthur reminds us today as we approach this passage, Jesus did not die to make people feel better by relieving them of their frustrations and anxieties. And re- relief from those things is no absolute evidence that salvation has come into your life. Jesus' stark words that we need to listen to today as we, lo- as we look at this passage, words that sometimes we overlook as materialis- people who live in a materialistic world, or that we somehow try to qualify them in more of a doable truth, Jesus says these words in Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. In the original language, it meant, let it go. Let it go. Let me ask you a question. What on earth is more important to you than Jesus Christ? Why is that important? We've been walking this journey together for eight years. In fact, on Easter, it's going to be our eighth anniversary. We don't usually say much about that. The core team kind of goes, you know, this is so much of a a ride by Jesus. The years don't matter. We just want to keep our eyes on Jesus. So we don't generally make a real big deal out of our anniversary, but it is going to be. And in that eight years, we have had the privilege and honor of seeing what seemed to be people coming to Jesus Christ. And we have watched them baptized and watched them start well. But today, for those of us who have been around for a while, we notice that some of them no longer are worshiping among us. And I can guarantee you that in some instances, some of them aren't worshiping at all. And so as we approach this passage of the rich young man coming to Jesus Christ because he sees something different, we sh- our hearts should be arrested. And we should say, where am I with Jesus? Where am I with this Jesus, with the one who is here right now, right in this place, meeting with us today? And he is the most important one. Nobody else. Nobody else is as important And so as we move forward in this death march, as we move forward agreeing to take the sufferings of Christ, because we know that's the identification of his death, willing to take those. And I think it was so interesting that the core team decided to make the announcement um, today about this renewal. It's not just for Sue and I. It's for us as a church. We're going to be walking kind of apart from each other, but together. Um, if this goes through, Pastor Stephen's going to be leading you on the congregational side um, as Sue and I walk uh, through, some, through some direction. But one of the things that I have said since we started this church to our core team is that I think what's going to be so important is to teach our church how to walk through persecution because it's coming It is no longer vogue to be a Christian. It's no longer in style. It's no longer the cool thing to do. And even in the world's eyes, the right thing to do. It is now absolutely opposite of that. It's the wrong thing to do. Because we're going and and breathing against the culture. And so as we come uh, to this 19th chapter, I'm going to start reading the 16th verse. We're going to walk through this together. Contextually... Uh, where we're coming from is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he has left uh, the region of, Ga- of uh, Galilee and is going into the region east uh, of Judea, east of the Jordan, and as he walks there, um, he is met by some, as he has always, some religious leader, some people Ryan talked about. Uh, That we need to give God our intellect, right? That song, give us our intellect. Uh, Some of us have been singing that song all our life. And have we really given our intellect to Jesus? Why is that important? Because the Pharisees never did. The Pharisees put their intellect above God. And they caused their intellect to be the most important thing of their life. Some of us do that today. And so Jesus meets these and they have some conversations. And and so Jesus wants these these Pharisees to see what faith in him really looks like. And so in the 14th verse, as contextually we go into this passage, Jesus said, uh, excuse me, the 13th verse, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them but the disciples rebuked him, right? Intellectually, that doesn't make sense. We're on, you know, we got, we, we got a program building here. You know, we got an adult thing going on. Get these children out of our way. They're in our way. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Somebody asked me one time, you got to preach someday on the difference between child, being childish and being childlike. There's a great difference. There's a great difference to that. Being childlike is trusting completely in Jesus. It's it's, it's like just jumping up in his arms and saying, you know, there's a whirlwind in my life going on right now. There are just difficulties going on. And you know, I'm just going to jump into your arms and I'm going to trust you that you are going to bring me through these winds and these storms. Amen? So in the midst of that, one ruler stands up and comes to Jesus. He's a young man. This has possibilities. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Yeah, maybe. But young people, oh, they're still pliable. So this young man comes. It says in verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What a great question. What an amazing question. Obviously, his heart's open to something. Obviously, he's a ruler in the synagogue. He knows the the 613 rules. He understands these things, and yet, he asks the question. He is what Chuck Eukin would call a hot prospect. (laughs) Right, Chuck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's the door open. And so but as we walk through this dialogue, really the area that we're trying to, to really think about in our own life right now is, how do we sometimes try to receive salvation through human initiative? through human perspective? through what makes sense to me. And so as we get into this, um, I don't think the question is bad. Some people have said, well, this is obviously works orientated, and, and it might be. But I don't think the question is bad. It, it is also reflective of a question that came in John 6 um, when uh, similar people asked questions, what must we do to do the work of, that God requires? What is the requirement of salvation? Does anybody remember Jesus' response? What is the work that God requires? Shana? Well, that, that is the end result of it, but, but let, let, let Torney say. Now you're taking us to the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, but that's good. You're all right on. But what did Jesus actually say? Say it again. So That's right. Believe on the one who was sent. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a bad question. So the motive is not wrong behind uh, this guy. Even though he knows these rules, he still knows he's lacking something. He reminds me of Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night and said, you know, what mu- basically what must I do? to be saved, a ruler. And so, do you think everybody knows that they lack something? I do. I really do. The Old Testament view of salvation is the fact that it is a God-given peace, rest, hope, assurance, and joy that comes from a personal, intimate relationship with God. I think every heart knows that's lacking. Now, some of you shook your head, no. I think that there are severed souls that have pushed that truth down, as we read in in Romans 1, and they have tried to replace it with things of this world. But I think even at the end of it, if you look into their eyes, there's always an emptiness There's always a seeking for the next thing. There's always something that is lacking, and they know it. But the rebellious will continue to push it down scarily to the end of their life. But I think it's fascinating that Jesus does not answer the question What does he say in verse 17? To the question of what, must, what good thing must I do to get to eternal life, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. What is good? Jesus is probing this young man to see if he knows who's standing in front of him. This young man knew him as teacher. He addressed him in that. He says, teacher. So he knew as teacher. He knew that he had something to offer. But did he know he was God? Do you? I think the difference between human contrived salvation and divine empowered transformation is that you know the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Colossians says that he is the son that is in the image of the invisible God. For in him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of this body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that, every, that in everything he might have supremacy. God's fullness is in Jesus Christ. And if we don't see Jesus Christ for who he is, This is the first mark of looking for salvation under my own way of getting it. But I find it interesting that then what he does is he, and so many times Jesus does that, he takes it back to what we know so that we can come to know what we don't know. So Jesus says to him, right, he says, "Um, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now this is not a facetious statement. He was being biblical. Leviticus 18.5 says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So Jesus was saying, if you keep the law perfectly, you will have eternal life. James affirms this, but then brings forth a reality for every human being. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet, stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Since Adam and Eve, not one person has kept the whole law, except Jesus Himself. That is why Galatians three twenty five says, "Now that this now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian." Or, translated, the law was a guardian leading us to true salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. John 5, 39 says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We can study Torah or the law, but without Jesus, we can never live Torah. Until you understand that you will continue to try to obtain salvation through your own means and not God's, through your own strength and not God's, and through your own wisdom and not God's, you will have missed it because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And so the man goes on and says, "Okay, if I'm missing something, then then I must be missing something of the law that I just don't get, right? Don't we try to make a process out of salvation? Don't we try to do it in a five step plan? You know, if I just do, 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 do. so much of the church is built around that, but it is right. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He says it's a it's a wind. You know, you know where it comes from where it's going, but you can see its effect on the trees." salvation is the effect of our life don't know where it came from don't know where it's going but we know it it's in in our hearts because there's a breeze that's flowing inside of me that is firing me up according to ryan's words let a fire in me how can't you So the man says, well, okay, which ones? Which ones? Here's what Jesus said. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting that he takes the Old, the Old Testament, right? The, the side of it, of the relationship, the law of the relationship um, in the Ten Commandments, but then he adds the summary of the law on the end of it. I, just, I find that interesting. Uh, and so... And so he has this young man's attention. Um, And so, but this was something that I never thought about. You look at these commands listed in 18 through 19. They are ones that are humanly possible. What's Jesus' point? I mean, can you can you not murder? Can you not commit adultery? Can you not steal? Don't get ahead of me, Tim. Can you, can you honor your father and mother? Don't get ahead of me. There's some possibility here. But what Jesus was trying to drive him to was the fact that, no, you can't even do that. You can't even do that. Even the most humanly possible commands, you cannot do. It's our pride that says, I got this. It's our pride that says, I can make this happen. It's our pride that just a few rules and God can't reject me because I'm a good person. The number one thing that I hear people say, when when you're when you're talking to them about God, is the fact that well, you know I'm a I'm a pretty good person, so how could He reject me? That is one of Satan's greatest subtle lies. Is as if you're good enough, you can be saved. But myself included, and everybody that admits that they're an addict realizes one true thing, and that is trying harder makes the addiction come out more. And the reason is this, because you can't save yourself. You never have been able to. You're never given the power, the capacity to. You can't save yourself. And so many people, even in the church, have believed that. You see, the mistake of the Jewish ruler um, in front of Jesus is the same mistake we say we see today, thinking that comm- that these commands are God's standards of righteousness instead of what they really are—the revealing of God's righteousness. You see, the commands point to the righteousness of God, and that's Jesus Christ. Period. Do you get that? If you do, you'll surrender. And get on your knees before the one who is and can be your righteousness even today. That's the whole point of why Jesus, and I know some of you were shaking your head, you were taking me to the New Testament of what Jesus did and talked about the fact that about adultery, even if you think it, you've done it. Um, But it wasn't it wasn't to prove the point that if you think it, you've already done it, which so many people have taken it, but that if you think it, you need a savior. If you even think it, you need Jesus. And how many of us haven't thought about sin? I ain't got any hands up. Oh, get out of here. Get, yeah, nice, Shane. No. Uh, you have to stay after class. Um but that's, that's the point. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Yes, it's proved that even as those thoughts go through our mind, that we desperately need a Savior. And so, and so we get to this. And in verse 20, it says, All this I have kept. Was the man lying to himself? How many vote yes? He was lying to himself. All these I have kept, the young man said. But is, is it interesting? What do I still lack? What do I still lack? Even though Jesus takes him to the commands that was so familiar with him uh, and was seeking salvation, the young man was honest, honest enough to, reveal, to say this even though he had professed an outward religious uprightness he knew he was still dead inside he was still lacking how about you what do you experience in the quietness of your soul is there an emptiness a lacking that still remains now why did this man ask the question in in the 10th chapter of mark jesus It says here that Jesus looked at the young man and loved him and says, one thing you lack. I'm reading the Old Testament now, and I was in the book of Joel and just happened to be there this morning, and I just believe that the Lord wanted me there because there's somebody in this room today that needs to hear these words. In Joel, the second chapter of the 12th verse, it says this to you who are rebelling against God. He says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Isn't that awesome? Some of us are walking in the face of calamity right now, and you may even know it. But He is a loving, compassionate, slow to anger God, abounding in love. Who's saying, "I don't want this to happen"? Turn around. There was a song in the '70s that some woman sang. It's "Turn Around," and I don't even know the song, but it came to my mind as I was thinking about just just crying out to turn around. Turn around, and that's what Jesus is doing to this young man. He's saying, stop looking at your religious outward appearance and turn around because your heart is dead and you need to be brought to life. Don't you see the commands can't do that? The commands were never there for life. They were bring you to the source of life. And so Jesus loved him. You know... Can someone like this young man be sincerely seeking after truth and completely miss the embodiment of truth? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. That's why I say to you today, I know for sure that I, am, have not, I was not a truth seeker, but the truth came seeking for me. Ezekiel 34, 11 says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. The, 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 the truth comes and seeks us. So my point is this. You can know something for sure, but if you're not known by the one who makes all things sure, you are surely deceived. You can know something for sure, but if you're not known by the one who makes all things sure, you are surely deceived. One of the conundrums of the religious world is that is the truth that people say they hold on to, but it has no apparent effect on their sinful life. They have a form of religion but they have rejected the heart effect of religion. That is deception. And so what's the answer? Verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Great! All I got to do is give everything away. Let's do it right now. Give it all away. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, The Ellens are looking for a house. They can't give everything away. they got to buy a house, right? Maybe that's not the point. Maybe it's not the giving it away that's the point. I think it's understanding what perfect really means. Another translation here, it says, if if you want to be perfect, another translation is complete. Perfect is nothing to do with the act of selling everything, but the act of the willingness of letting go of everything is the outworking of being made perfect. Perfect or complete is something the law cannot do. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect also reinforced by hebrews 10:1 says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves as i was as i was looking up this hebrews i was so feeling so sad for these rabbis who are looking in the law for salvation and believing that the messiah is still coming they may be intellectually all there but they are totally missing it in the heart it is jesus christ and jesus alone the law is what ushers us into the presence of our greatest need. Galatians three twenty four says the law is given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You see, the entrance to being born again is realizing you lack something, and that that something is the per- perfectness of God. Matthew five forty eight says, "Be ye perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." It is His standard. That only happens as you receive the free gift of faith through Jesus Christ and respond by acknowledging the sin that lives in your heart. God then, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? It says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you are sanctified and it is with your mouth that you are saved. How does that happen? It happens because God sanctifies your heart and makes it clean by the forgiveness of your sin through the word and the reality of your salvation comes from the confession of your mouth, your authenticity, your openness, a growing fruit of the spirit. Your life is changing from the inside out. It is the story of Zacchaeus. I love the story of Zacchaeus because he was a wee little man. Oh, you tall friends of mine. Yeah, bring it on. Yes. Yeah, there's power in the shortness. Yes. But he was so excited to see Jesus, he ran ahead and climbed a tree. I love doing that. At 62, I'm not sure I'm going to do that real soon. But I loved doing that when I was a kid. He climbs the tree so he can see Jesus. And guess what? Jesus was thinking about him. And he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. What? He's on the way to the cross. What? Yes. Zacchaeus has them over. They have dinner, victuals, and, and all of a sudden he stands up and he says, half of everything I own I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times. Now, was that salvation? No, it was the result of it. And we know that because Jesus' words in chapter 10 says these. Or excuse me, in the 10th verse of the 19th chapter, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It was the fact that Zacchaeus knew he was lost. He knew he was lacking something. And the result of being of the lack being gone, because he saw Jesus for who he was, changed everything for Zacchaeus. But we've got to deal with this rich young man. We've got to deal with him. And we get to the 22nd verse. Listen to it. Let it arrest your heart. Then the young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Every time I read this verse, I want to just yell, stop! Stop! You are walking away from the author of life, the king of all kings, whose kingdom will never end. You're walking away from the truth that you said you were seeking. He is the answer that overcomes all of life's questions. Today you have him Who am I? What is my purpose? What, what does, does life have meaning? Is this physical life all there is? What happens after I die? There are you that walk in and out of this church every week and you walk away from the answer because you've not yet received in your heart the truth of who Jesus Christ is. This verse, along with Matthew seven twenty one, is probably one of the most arresting verses I know. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. What's the will of God for you? Turn from sin and turn to his will. Let your will align with his. That's as easy as I can put it. Turn from sin and turn toward God and do his will for your life. That will which was planned before the foundations of the earth, that will, and that that, that was the power of Paul. That's exactly what he was doing. You see, MacArthur said salvation involves a commitment to forsake sin and to follow Jesus Christ. I guess I didn't make that up. There are those of us in this very room who God has been calling for years to let it go. And you've refused to do so. You know it. You're experiencing even the conviction of it right now. Your self-centered, self-righteous religiosity the draw to the form and structure instead of the move of the Holy Spirit has been getting in the way of you receiving either either salvation or the movement of the Spirit in your life because we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You're tired and worn out and you're wondering where to go from here. On your knees, on your knees, come to the one who fills the lacking. Come to the one who this man walked away from. I want to scream it because I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. The answer is let it go. How do we do that? How do we do it? It's really understanding the difference between the poverty of riches and the true riches of poverty. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are you, poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to James. The book of James, right after Hebrews. Uh, the first chapter, I just, I just think this so is poignant uh, uh, to what the Spirit is saying to us in this room today. James chapter 1, starting with the ninth verse. Thank you for turning those pages. Thank you. James 1, 9 through 11, says these words. Believers in humble circumstance ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich 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 the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant it blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even when they go about their business huh. hmm. You see, it isn't about the amount of money you have or the amount of possessions you have. It's about what those money and possessions have on you. Is there a measure of salvation that comes from that which you have in the bank account or the four walls that you're walking in or the fake security that they bring to you? Now, don't dismiss this too quickly because I know in a materialistic world you'll say, oh, come on, Andersma, stop it. Tell me you haven't felt at times um, kind of a relief when you got a raise, kind of a relief when your money things kind of went the way that you should, kind of a relief when the things of this world try to cast their false security on you. I have, I have. But the false security of the physical is always trying to grab your attention away from the spiritual. Always. Sue and I lived in a mobile home for six years. We were very discontented. And part of it was because she started having children. And it started happening like one after another. It's like, man, are we going to have 15 children here? And I felt like the little old woman in the shoe. And, And so we started, we were there for six years and four of them, we had the mobile home up for sale. And we were so discontented, we were frustrated, we were angry. And, uh, and finally, as God always does, he sold our mobile home on the exact day that he brought us the house that he wanted us to move into for 11 years. But we found out a truth. Owning a house is not the answer to our problems. <laughs> it makes more. <laughs> it, there's work. There's I mean, right? And, uh, and so... And so, um, so as we think about this, and as you think about um, just, you think about, you know, that we, we are rich people in this room. I don't care where you're at, but there, there's a real tendency to be pulled toward that. And and so we have to be careful. How can we do this? And I think the answer is in this passage. So let's let's learn how to let it go. First, 23 through 24, listen to it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. First answer to how to let it go is to put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the this physical world. Put no confidence in this See, it wasn't the fact that the rich young man was rich, but that he placed his truch, trust in the wealth, more than the God who came to him in flesh. Jesus, uh, Paul actually said these words, that he puts no confidence in the flesh. And that is, it's not easy to do that. Sue, when we got married, figured that we would live in one house for the rest of our lives together. Ended up being six but what she learned through that, what we both learned through that in, in all of those homes is that the home does not matter. The, the structure does not matter. What matters is what's going on inside the home. Because my wife was able to make every house a home by bringing the love of Jesus Christ into those, into those walls. And that made all the difference in the world. Where are you putting your, your trust you know, some people have looked at this analogy of the camel and the eye and needle, and they've tried to make a whole lot of just, you know, physical realities, and, and you know, one is, of course, that, that above the gate of the, of the Jerusalem gate is, is a small window, and, you know, if you could lift up your camel and shove it through it. Um, but, but, the, but the real point of this is the fact that it's impossible, that nothing in this world is going to bring salvation to us, nothing. There's no, there is no financial security. There is no security of where you live. Um, our, our dear sister Judy is, is possibly watching her um, father pass away in front of her in the next days or weeks, whatever the Lord determines. And I mean, it's, her heart is breaking. Um, and the same week, I, I talked with a pastor who was walking by my house like this. And as he came up to my trash can, I was coming out to grab it, and we sat and talked. And he said, "I said, how was your winter?" And he said, "Well, it's, it's it was good, except I was in the hospital every six weeks for blood um, uh, uh, for um, blood infection." And he says, "It's coming from my cancer." And he says, "I'm probably not going to be here long." And he said, "But you know, Andersma, you know what was what's amazing? Twenty nine years ago, I got that diagnosis, and they told me I had a year to live." And I served at the church I was serving at for nine years, and I interim served at 11 other churches throughout the years. So I guess if the Lord wants to take me today, I'm okay with that. Do you trust? Not in the physical, but in the one who holds your life. Do you trust in him? With everything that you are, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what goes on, do you trust in him and put no confidence in what's happening in front of these eyes? Luke 12 tells a story about a man who had a bumper crop. And instead of seeing how he could give glory to God to what he had made, he decided to give glory to himself. And Jesus said, when you build your barns, um, what good will that do you? Because this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Jesus ends this story by saying this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to be absolutely surrendered to his will in your life. It means to be rich in worship. Rich in relationship and love with God and others. Rich in response of good deeds. Rich in fearless living. Rich in hope. Rich in peace. Rich in the growing character of Jesus Christ in your heart. That's what it means to be rich in God. And I want to talk to you people who have less money. Do you put your confidence in the bills that are in your hand or the Bible that sits in your lap? I'm sorry, it does not matter. I believe this the rich and poor have this in common the Lord is the maker of them all. God has set you in the place you're at. Because, in the end, like like a boulder on the seashore or a piece of sand on the seashore at 35,000 feet in the air, does not matter whether you, people have riches on this earth or whether they're poor in this earth. It does not matter. God has set you there. He's set you in this. I, I told the, the uh, core team when we started this church, I said, I'm not going to try to make people middle class. Middle class is not their salvation. Jesus is. And I think for a lot of times that is what we've done. If you, if you look like us and act like us, then you must be saved. That is not a great Bible study. Second, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, well, verse 25, then the the, the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Been saying it all day, have you put your absolute confidence in the God of possibility? Who can thwart God's plan? Who is the writer of this story that you're now living in? Do you believe that you're written in the story or do you feel like your life is kind of a loose weed on the outside of it? What is he not capable of doing Stop relying on your own ability to make things happen. You cannot do it. Jesus said these words to us in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do how much? How much? Do you believe that? I do too. I am leading us here and my biological family to follow a God of the impossible. There has been some words spoken over this church recently. By two different people that believe that the impossible God or the God of possibility is going to work in and among us. Do you believe that? I do. I do. No confidence in the flesh, absolute confidence in God, and finally, a willing and abandoned heart before God. Verse 27 through 29. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The first thing he talks about is renewal. To be born again on this earth is to, is, it ha- happens two things. First of all, your soul is changed and transformed, and your body begins the work of sanctification. It begins to take on the character of Jesus Christ, it, it, it begins to submit to the character of Christ and grow. That's what happens at salvation on this earth. But do you believe that someday that the mortal will become immortality? Yes! That the perishable will become imperishable? That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. Amen! The renewal of all things. But not just you. The whole universe will be renewed. What? 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 Sorry, Dave, every one of the houses you've built or remodeled, they're all going to burn. They're all going to burn. Your houses are going to burn. Everything's going to be gone on this earth. Why are you putting so much time into it? I, buy a house. I don't care. Do what God's calling you to do, but man, let your focus stay on the spiritual, not on the material. Let God lead you. He has done an amazing job of Sue and I leading us. It has been an amazing journey of how he has led us in so many ways. But not just renewal, authority, the disciples on the 12 thrones, right? But also, listen to me, those of us who have received the spirit of Jesus in our hearts, we also will rule. Doesn't that make sense? If the ruler lives inside of you, you'll be part of it, Right? It's not when you go to heaven, you're not like separate from Jesus. You're still one with him and we will rule. Revelation three twenty one says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And then Revelation two twenty six says this, to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations just as I have received authority from my father. What? Seriously? Yes. Do you remember when the disciples, uh, or when, when, when they were beginning, when the people were beginning to hear Jesus Christ speaking? What did they say about him? What did they say about him? What's that? Yes, that he speaks with authority. Why is that different? Because his whole being was God. And the words that are in this book, he wrote them. (laughs) He wrote them. (laughs) But the thing is this when he writes on your heart, and he changes your heart from stone to flesh, it's written on your heart too. You also can speak with authority. Not as one who lords over, but in the authority. And we listen, people, we need this today. We need this today more than any other day because we have got people speaking lies like crazy out there. And we need the the, the children of Jesus Christ to stand up and to speak with authority, the word of God to change and transform their lives. And so, renewal, authority. But then, verse 29, everyone who has left. Now, I want you to notice the three categories. Possessions, family, and career. I want to make one thing clear, because there's been some people who have, who have taken this out of context. Edie is not leaving your family just to leave them. My wife and I have an estranged daughter right now. We have not left her, but our relationship is separated from her right now because we will not tolerate her sin just like my Lord did not tolerate my sin in my life. It is not judgmentalism. It's God's judgment, and we pray that someday she'll come back. We've not left her. This week, we just fasted and prayed over my daughter as a family from Holland to Grand Rapids to South Carolina. We've not left her. We are battling for her life. And I think that's important. I encourage somebody this week to do that same for his family. You know, we can make a case uh, for all of these and the importance of them in our life, but I think this is the point. If the righteousness of God calls us to leave any one of these three, would you be willing to abandon all for the sake of the gospel? Would you? Would I? I think that is a Proper and true question. God is a just God and he's good. His leading of his people is always for our good and for his glory. And so as we bring this thing uh, to a landing, I've been kind of hinting to you uh, that uh, that this is a very, very important time. Um, In reflection of part of this scripture, I'm wondering, um, you know, how we would have handled this person but more importantly, what about you today? We are living in strange times. We are living in strange times like no other generation has seen. And, uh, you know, we just went through a pandemic which seems to be a bit on the end. And, uh, and now we have a war that is being threatened as possible World War III. A song was written. The title of it is this. Can one man save the world? Who's this comedian? His audience, more mice than men. The Superman, Ukrainian. I don't know. Great-grandson of the Holocaust, an Eastern heart the West has lost. Nail or carry up his cross. I don't know. But he's got everyone thinking. Yeah, he's got everyone thinking. Can one man save the world? In a thousand years, will they say your name? Or is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand still in the end? Can one man save the world? Do you get it that the world is still looking for a savior? And that this president of Ukraine, there are some people that are going, I wonder, I wonder about him. Could he be the savior of the world? We live in strange times. There's a lot of lies out there. We can get caught up in the the false reality of those lies, and we can scream at people all day long. Or we can get caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the truth. It is is life-changing and transformative, and it is the only way. And we need more people to stand up with authority and to speak the gospel so that hearts will hear. Today, in our midst, there are hearts that are hearing the gospel and they have a decision to make. Either receive this gospel or walk out that back door like the rich young man and, and reject it. you got a decision to make. People of God, let's rise up. Give God the glory and follow him with our lives because he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Amen? Stand with me as we pray and have Ryan come forward with Mike. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, here we are uh, in this place together, worshiping you. Your word is true. It's transformative. It's real. And it's so real that in our minds we're watching a rich young ruler steeped in the law, steeped in um, the knowledge of the Torah, steeped in all this, walking away from the one who wrote it. Heavenly Father, let that not be me. But as we come today, may we realize that, that our overcoming and our ability to let go is to put no confidence in the things that we own, the things of the physical world, nothing on this earth, that we put total confidence in the God that is the God of possibility and that, Father, we come before you abandoned, willing, willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel. It is, it is the life refresher. It is what brings beauty from ashes, it is what brings and, 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 and heals the lame and sets the captives free, and it brings light unto those who have been walking in darkness. It is the only answer for us and our problem. And so, Lord, I know there's those in, within my, in the sound of my voice that needed to hear this today as well as I did and to pray that, Father, that our hearts would be moved, desire to walk closer to you, to maybe receive you for the first time in our life, to, to be set apart, made holy by the renewing of our souls and the renewing of our mind. And that, Father, um, the cross of Jesus Christ comes to the center of our souls, the blood of Jesus Christ covers our souls, and our lives become more real than they were the moment before. You are the reality of existence. May we exist in you and you alone. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.